I like to see things grow. I like to make food. I swear my whole life revolves around food prep and, you know, all that stuff. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. My guest on the podcast this week gives me hope for the future, I guess, of growing food, particularly in Western Washington. You'll see that he has a passion for helping people grow food. He's an agronomist right out of college. Blake Carson is his name. He works for Skagit Farmer Supply, and he's worked alongside his grandpa for years helping to grow food. So he has that background, that history. He has the experience to know the big challenges, but he also has the vision for the future where he wants to see food grown here that we don't necessarily grow here anymore, but he knows that we can because he knows that history from working with his grandpa fascinating conversation and really inspiring when you hear that and Blake is a really soft-spoken guy but he's super transparent you can tell this is all very important to him and that he's thinking about how to make our food system here in our region better again his name is Blake Carson we had a great chat right in his grandpa's machine shed and I know I for one really enjoyed this conversation this week My name is Dylan Honkoop. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast, documenting my journeys all over Washington State to get to know the real people behind our food. So when was it that you got into farming? Because your folks aren't in farming, right? No, my my parents aren't. Um, So my grandpa, he... Of course, this farm for quite a while, and I started raking hay when I was nine years old. So, little nine-year-old me was out there jumping the clutch and wearing a cowboy hat, raking hay, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I pretty much started right about then. So, what kind of farm did your grandpa have at that time? So he was—he um, had just got out of uh, the peas. They'd left, you know, Whatcom County, and. I think, yeah, so he was doing about, you know, a couple hundred acres of uh, hay where he's selling it to, you know, horse people, feeding it to his um, replacement heifers. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also did quite a bit of field corn. So that's kind of where I kind of dipped my feet into doing a little bit of field work um, with, you know, four-wheel drive tractors and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What uh, what was what had he farmed over the years, though? Like, you said he had done peas in the past. What else had he done? So years ago, he and his brother, um, they dairied together, and they also did peas, sweet corn, uh, dabbled a little bit, little bit with some green beans. Um, and then they kind of had their separation, and mm. he continued to just do the whole field corn route with uh, other dairies after, you know, they quit dairying yeah. and um, just kind of making it work with what he had. So you're nine years old, starting to work on the farm. Do you live in town at that time or where? I live right down the road from my grandparents' farm. So okay. well, that uh, made it easy then. Oh yeah. To be right there. Yep. Yep. He'd always come pick me up in his old beater farm truck. And, you know, I was always excited. I mean, most kids that, nine years old they were pretty excited to go out to the lake or whatever but i was always itching to get back onto the tractor 
So you caught the farming bug early on. Absolutely. From your grandpa. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So what, where did you go from there? Because you, I'm assuming, kept helping on the farm right through high school and decided, I want to be in farming. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I played sports in high school. Um, I also, towards the end of high school, I started working for a uh, seed potato farm, a local seed potato farm. I uh, did that springs and summers. Uh, falls, I did football. But um, I, you know, from there... I decided to go to school at Washington State University. Um, it's going to go be a Coug, go Cougs. And uh, <laughs> I was going to go do construction management. Um, I saw there was a lot of opportunity for, you know, higher wages and a lot of job placement. But yeah, um, after a semester that I decided I just wasn't really my thing and I wanted to go back to agriculture. So went and pursued a degree in agriculture technology and production management, AgTM. What's a program like that it, teach you? What, what, what did you all, what were you doing in classes with it, that stuff? It's basically, um, it's basically a wide variety of, you have like science classes, like your soil science, your biology, your chemistries. Um, and then you have like a lot of business classes. I did a business minor as well, but there's a lot of like ag business, uh, stats, economics. Uh, and then there was just a bunch of irrigation and hydraulics, electrics, mm, wow. all that stuff. So it was a pretty well-rounded education, I'd say. So everything on how to farm. Yeah, pretty much. From whatever perspective. So what was your plan at that point? What did you want to do with that degree when you were still in school? I had no idea. I uh, <laughs> I. I just wanted to, I don't know, I kind of thought about like, oh, going to work for Simplot or McGregor or something like that through the basin, but um, I just kind of ended up coming back here to work for Skagit Farmer Supply. So talk about, yeah, talk about your job now. You're an agronomist. Yes, I am. So, so what does that mean? Uh, so I pretty much am responsible for all of the um, inputs in, you know, a handful of accounts that I have either opened or received and uh, I just check on their fields and make sure that you know there's no disease or pests or anything bothering the uh, the uh, yield on the crop and um, I just kind of make educated um, opinions on what kind yeah. of fertilizer inputs and chemical inputs that we're going to use on this particular crop. So what kind of crops are you keeping an eye on right now? With the different farmers that you're working with, so I deal with uh, I deal with a lot of potatoes. Um, I deal with field corn. I deal with some seed crops, um, hay or grass, of course, mm -hmm. um, and then a little bit of cucumbers and mm. pickling cucumbers mm. and green beans. And I guess and I'm kind of dabbling into berries right now. So, mm. which like raspberries, blueberries? Yes, raspberries and blueberries. And Whatcom and Skagit County is kind of your area. Yeah, Whatcom, Skagit, and I have a couple of councils in Homish. So. Okay, pretty wide area. Yeah, I'm all over the place. Driving all over, keeping track of all these farms. Mm-hmm. Seed crops, what what kinds of seed crops? Uh, like spinach seed and yeah. uh, Swiss chard seed. Okay. It's, uh, Those are probably in Skagit, right? Uh, the, the Actually, the farmer that I deal with, he's in Arlington. Okay. Mm -hmm. down south there yeah it's it's very unique actually seeing the you know it's 
very high risk, but it can be very rewarding for a lot of these guys. So what's it like helping to grow this food that people are going to eat? What does that mean to you? Well, it's, you know, being on, on this side, the, the ag consulting side of, of farming, it's a whole lot different because, you, you know, you kind of, you're kind of working with somebody else's livelihood and you got to take that into consideration with, you know, every decision you make every day and which kind of brings on a different level of stress because you can get unloaded on for, you know, <laughs> making a mistake and, you know, it could be an honest yeah. mistake. But you try to minimize those mistakes and try to make a great crop and that everybody will enjoy. A lot of farmers, you know, everybody knows the farming population is aging. Here, you're a young guy. When, when did you graduate college, by the way? Like, uh, this last December, so 2019. Okay, so you're just fresh out of college. I'm fresh. Have you had to deal with, you know, people being like, oh, you're a young buck. What do you know? Absolutely. There's, there are, um, a lot of people that don't take me very seriously, which I mean, is to be expected, but, um, then, you know, if like for me, I've been able to keep a level head and, um, just kind of navigate through those situations and people notice it. So I just try to be, you know, the best field man, the best kind of all around person that I I can be, because I don't want to yeah. I don't want people to hate me or, you know. Yeah. Well, is that like that on the job too? I would imagine you you know brand new as an agronomist on this team. I know that team has some people who've been doing it for an awful long time and you probably have to kind of feel like you prove yourself there too, right? Yeah, I definitely have to prove myself a lot. <laughs> There's a few guys that um, you know, they don't take me very seriously or, oh, he's the new guy. Like, oh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm trying my best, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't know, but what what makes more of a difference, your fresh college education or their years of experience? That may lead to different conclusions, right? Yeah, I definitely could. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure they probably think that, oh, the co- you know, oh, you went to college, you don't know anything, which, I mean, I have learned quite a bit in the past, you know, what is it, eight months since December, but yeah. Um, I'm not sure how to answer that one. What's it, what was your first season like? Things are, as an agronomist, things are busy in the spring, late spring time when lots of stuff is being planted, then it gets less busy later on, right? Right. What was that first rush like keeping on top of everything? And I know it can just be go, go, go. Well, first off, I, I actually interned for Skagit last summer. So I kind of had a little, little taste of, of what it's like you know, to be in the, to be in a field man's position. I, you know, I rode with a couple of field men and figured out like, okay, this is stressful, but, (laughs) um, you know, my first spring, this, you know, this last spring, it was, it started off in late March because we had a really nice couple weeks there in late March. So I kind of got a little taste of it Mm -hmm. and it was nice because we were able to kind of get some of the, get some of the, operations done before it all has to happen at the same time yeah so it was kind of nice to divvy it out a little bit but sure i mean there's a lot of times where i'd be flying down the freeway and i'll shoot have to pull over and <laughs> you know find an exit and sit there and dilly dally with somebody's <laughs> order or whatever yeah. and it's nice though my pickup has bluetooth so i could just sit there and you know just take phone calls and mm-hmm. but yeah it was very hectic 
So you're on the phone a lot and then having to pull over and probably get on your phone and mm -hmm. deal with emails and orders and websites and all that stuff. Oh too. yeah. It's a whole different world. Like I didn't realize that there was so much email and the email really, really takes a toll, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I think anybody uh, working a job dealing with lots of email. Oh, well, yeah. Well, it's, it's it is funny. It. Like some of the, you know, it would be a lot easier to have like like a group text message if, you you know, you need to communicate. But for some reason, they have to make like a group email. I don't know why, but. <laughs> Get on those strings. Yeah. New emails keep popping up. Yeah, is this something I need to look at or not? Yeah, you could just call me or text me, and it'll, you know, it'll be more effective. But. Yeah, for sure. So you got through the first season. What are you going to do different next season? What 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 lessons did you learn? Um, I think that I probably need to be a little more organized. Mm. Um, I have a lot of learning left to do. You know, there's a lot of agronomic principles that you don't just pick up. You, you know, you got to you have to have a season or two or three or however many it takes to figure out like this is how this is how this crop reacts to this herbicide or or you know however mm -hmm. however you got to do it but i think i have a lot of reading to do this this winter um i plan on taking my cca exam this february i think it's february um so i can become a certified crop advisor okay um just everything that you know you can do in the off season to be better for the following season. So there's a lot of science to it. Oh, there certainly is. I mean, just understanding. I listen to Ag PhD a lot on mm -hmm. on uh, the Apple podcast or whatever, and yep. I learn a lot of principles that you know I just kind of jot down as I'm driving around doing you know not a whole lot or whenever I'm not on the phone. You said uh, you know sometimes you just have to deal with people giving you a ration of you know what. <laughs> <laughs> because mm -hmm. they didn't like maybe what you did or said. You had any real bad experiences with that so far? Yeah, I've had a couple of people give me a couple of nice words. And <laughs> <laughs> you just, you know, you just got to take the BS, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of part of the, the job. You know, they don't put that in the job description, but you know it's there. What do you think the reason is for that? It's just because it, this farming stuff is so high stress? I mean, there's so much going on at once and there's, you know, money involved and, you know, money just gets people pretty upset. So, um, worried about losing money mm -hmm. and yeah. say, say an operator makes a mistake. Well, you got to take the blame. You're not going to throw your operator under the bus. And so know. that the people that work for your company were actually out driving the tractor, you know, applying or planting or whatever. Yeah. Those people you mean by operator. Yeah, they yeah. They may make a mistake. Yeah, so I'm not saying they have, but like if they do make a mistake yeah. that, you know, you got to take the fall for it as a field yeah. man because it's not fair to your guy that, you know, Bob, oh, this is my guy did this. Yeah. You know, it's uh, my problem. You know, I got to deal with it. I got to talk to, you know, management to figure out, okay, how do we resolve this problem <laughs> with this grower? So, you know, he isn't mad at us. Yeah. I've been that operator back in the day mm -hmm. when I was planting corn um, for a similar operation to what you work for. Yeah, I was the operator, and I made a few mistakes. It happens. And the poor agronomist who was in your shoes had to probably go to the farmer and say, look, we didn't quite get this right. You know, maybe he missed a little spot or didn't put enough fertilizer with. And that's stressful because then you feel like, ah, here, I'm just – 
you know, at that time I was a young guy in college. Mm-hmm. Like I affected this guy's crop now. And usually there was a way to, to fix the problem some way. Mm-hmm. But it makes you nervous. And it, that does really crank up the stress. Yep. I remember some pretty stressful days in the cab of the tractor. I don't know if you've experienced that in the cab of your pickup where you're, some oh, days yeah. you're just... Mm-hmm. Yep. feel like you're in a in a vice yep you're ready to be home <laughs> but you get to be out in fields and growing food all the time too mm-hmm. that has to feel pretty awesome yeah it's a privilege to be able to see all these different cropping systems i mean you know working on working with seed potatoes like y- you only see one or two cropping systems and that's the way it is and you learn a lot like i learned a lot on the seed potato farm and a lot of you know basic principles about mechanics and all sorts of stuff like that but being able to see you know how every different farmer works their ground and how they apply their you know insecticide and everything all everything about their program it's kind of interesting to see how they're successful or where they could change and that also gives me opportunity to kind of have an opinion on you know hey you might want to look into this or <laughs> you don't want to say like, Hey, this is what you need to be doing. Cause n- right. no farmer wants to hear that. But yeah, you know, if I'm sure, you know, we're here to make recommendations. That's what we do. Yeah. Have you considered this option? Yes, yeah. exactly. And you worked for a seed potato farmer back what in high school and college? Yes, or? I did. I worked for a seed potato farmer for four, five springs and summers in high school and college which helped me get through college doing those 100 hour weeks you know 100 hours oh yeah wow what kind of stuff are you doing for 100 hours in one week oh you know we do i'd be doing a lot of field work or planting potatoes or oh getting irrigation equipment ready Uh, i mean the biggest push for me was always the planting season but i mean after that you know 60 hours a week doing irrigation 70 hours a week doing irrigation, pulling hose, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. Repairs. I mean, that's always going to happen on a farm, repairs. Constant. Yeah. Always something breaking. And a hose reel will always eat itself or something <laughs> like that. Ugh. Don't miss that too much. <laughs> and that seed potato farm that you worked for just recently went out of business. Yes, they did. That'd be sad to see. Yeah, it was pretty terrible. I mean, I'm I'm pretty close with them and it's... Uh, it's a shame. I I feel terrible, you know. What what does that mean, you know, with, with long-time family businesses like that going out, farms calling it quits, not just in seed potatoes, but in other areas. What does that make you think? Here you're young guy coming to this farming community. What does that make you think about the future? Are you worried about it? I'm a little bit worried about, you know, the population increasing in western washington and the cost of land in western washington it's hard for you know if you're a family business or family farm and you go out there's no getting back into it really i mean you know unless you have a large amount of capital to be able to get back into it you know these twenty thirty thousand dollar an acre pieces of ground you're not just going to be able to pull out of your pocket right (laughs) you know and all these you know for the crops that we have here in whatcom county I mean, besides corn, it's going to take a lot of inputs um, as far as a per acre cost, you know. Mm-hmm. Very expensive to, a lot you need to invest before you start harvesting a crop and trying to make some of that investment back. Exactly. You can't just go out and throw some potatoes in the ground and say, hey, look, I got some seed potatoes. 
you know yeah. you gotta have storage you gotta have the equipment you gotta have buyers you got you know as a ballpark what would you say what does it cost what what kind of investment does an acre of seed potatoes have into it before they actually realize anything back from it i don't know probably five five ten thousand dollars an acre i mean it's uh it's tough out there, you know. And you, it, Which is back to what you were saying about people being stressed and when money is on the line, that's it too because they've made, they've invested a lot already. And then if at some point in that chain before those potatoes are harvested and sold and that money's back in their pocket to pay off some of those investments and debts, mm -hmm. if you mess up something in that chain, it's like, ooh. Right. And you could just mess something intense. up right at the end. You know, you get a disease and you put your potatoes in storage and there goes your storage i mean it's, mm. it's never ending for them until it's on the truck and gone you uh want to do your own farming in the future i'd like to i mean it's it's tough to see you know where i'm gonna be but i mean it's all i know as because it would be nice to be able to at least farm on the side just to you know have have my foot into it and yeah just have fun with it, I guess. Yeah. Even though all you're describing doesn't sound fun at all. It sounds stressful. <laughs> no. no, it sounds very stressful, huh? <laughs> but apparently there is some fun to it as well. Yeah, I think probably part of the pride of calling yourself a farmer and, you know, feed people, I guess. Yeah. What would you like to grow? I don't know. I'd like to grow, I'd like to grow some sort of annual crop that I think that's what we need here in Whatcom County is, is an annual crop that, that doesn't have take as much of it as an investment and kind of sell as a locally produced food because it seems mm. like that's the way that with the coronavirus at least yeah. everybody's kind of looking for a a local crop uh you know locally produced food that they can kind of get to so fi finding like some sort of a co-op that could you know store or process these kinds of locally grown foods would be ideal so you're saying like grow a crop that isn't necessarily grown here in Whatcom County now. Right. Or it might be grown to, you know, an acre or whatever. I'm uh -huh. sure there's probably crops that are, you know, an organic guy or, uh, you know, a hobby farmer might have in their backyard that would be, um, in, you know, worth looking into for, you yeah. know, a few other people, look, you know, grow. You're saying maybe the, the big guys could learn something from the little guys? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think farmers feel that? Or I know there can be some kind of skepticism both ways between really, really small hobby farms and big farms and those in between. There's, uh, I definitely see a, a big gap between, you know, the bigger farms and the smaller farms. And, you know, the bigger farms, they got everything going for them. And I don't blame them for wanting to think that way. But, you know, being smaller, on a smaller side of the scale, it's, you know, you kind of are always looking for something different, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Easier to pivot and do something different mm -hmm. when you're small. Mm -hmm. I've always said both sides could learn a lot from each other I'll, if they didn't feel so competitive. For what reason? Because they aren't actually competing usually in the same market. It's at not all. apples to apples at all. No. But like you're saying, like the big guys could learn a lot from these little guys who are able to try different stuff mm -hmm. and figure it out. Little guys could learn from the big guys too about some of the ways uh, efficiencies that they've found yeah, too, market, right because the big big guys have to be so efficient mm -hmm. to do what they do you gotta have good good accountants <laughs> yeah to keep on top of everything yep. so you could grow a crop produce local food maybe something that isn't already grown here 
I don't know what could what would that be like? What, I don't know. I always heard about how fun the peas were when the peas were around and growing peas. Yeah, know, my dad cool. used to grow peas. Yeah, when I was oh, yeah, my grandpa grew peas as well. But well, so I guess what I was thinking when you were saying, well, grow something that isn't grown here now. Well, why not? Why isn't that stuff grown here? I was, I think everything has to do with marketing, right? Well, you know when when Twin City Foods left all the all the or I guess there's probably several processors, but yeah. I mean, the the recent one that I knew about was Twin City Foods, and mm-hmm. where do you sell your peas? You go, you don't just, I mean, you could sell like sweet corn on the side of the road, and that's going to get you so far, but find, finding a place to be able to sell your, your local foods, like if there was, you know, some sort of storage that you're able to get a hold of or a processor or whatever, I think that's the biggest barrier for a lot of these people wanting to put something in. So there's just not the processing facilities infrastructure here. Yeah, it's nothing like the Columbia Basin or Skagit Valley, where where um, you know you just go to Othello or wherever, and there's a processor here, a processor there. You know, here's your contract and put it in. You know. So there's no other reason we couldn't grow that stuff here. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, I, as far as I know, the quality of like, say, for for example, the Skagit Valley, like the quality of the green beans. Are their green beans are, have such higher quality than the ones in the basin because the cooler day, the cooler nights, mm-hmm. uh, they don't get wind burnt mm. uh, here in or, or down in Skagit Valley. Yeah, um, I imagine the sand probably has a lot to do with getting wind burnt. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of crops that you could grow here that would probably have a lot higher quality. As long as it's not something like onions, it's going to take probably a lot longer growing growing days. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of those crops to come back. I mean, the, I heard they used to grow carrots here. They used to grow all sorts mm. of things here in Whatcom County. Yeah, back when there were processing facilities mm-hmm. to actually package that stuff up and get it to the consumer. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the gap, and I'm you're not the only person that I'm hearing that from. Right. Here. Yeah, it's a big, big gap, but I mean, I think that the way that the coronavirus and I mean, just, you know, as we've gone on in the last few years, that there's probably going to be a shift where people do want local food and there's a great opportunity for, you know, Wacom and Skagit to, pi- to supply local food to, to Bellingham, to BC, to Seattle, because there's a lot mm-hmm. of acres around here and a lot of dairies going out. Yeah. You work with any dairy farmers right now? I know those that community is under a lot of pressure. Yeah, I work with a handful, and it's uh, it's uh, a very unique. I I still don't understand the whole base thing. I mean, I I get it when you know people want to get out and and get a lot of money, and which they wouldn't have two years ago. But I mean, right. I, it's I think it's a very complex. Um, very complex topic that, I mean, it's been happening for quite a while here. I mean, how many dairies used to be here 30 years ago? Like 600 or... Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, now there's probably, what, 150, 75 maybe? Yeah, I think somewhere more in, under 100 now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of consolidation that's happened, but now it's not so much consolidation. It's get out. Get out and the cows go away. They mm-hmm. go somewhere else. Yep, it's no yeah. more cows. From all the farmers, dairy farmers, crop farmers that you work with, what's the biggest pressure that you're hearing 
they feel they're under? What, what are some of the things that they're worrying about in the big picture? I hear a lot about water. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what's with, a concern with water? What, what are they worried about? Like tribes shutting them off. Mm. Um, hearing about, I mean, the cost of land is increasing. Um, just farmland being lost to housing developments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's all I can really think of right now, but yeah. Well, and, and you know, because you work directly with these people weighs pretty heavily on their mind. Mm-hmm. And markets too. I mean, like, you know, I got a guy, I have a guy that has, he does wheat and straw and, you know, I mean, you're not ever going to make money on wheat here in, I mean, that's just one of his rotations, but, you, you know, it's mm-hmm. really hard to make money on wheat in Western Washington. You know, we don't have, we don't have 4,000 acres with a very low, in, low land cost where it makes right. sense to grow wheat. I mean, this, you know, twenty thirty thousand $30,000 an acre here and you're not covering that cost with wheat. Yeah, totally. You mentioned water too. What does that mean? You know, if, if people lost access to water, what would that mean for farms around here? Like potatoes, I mean, you need you you definitely need water. I mean, there's some some pieces of ground you can get away without watering, but you're not going to get nearly the yield that you want uh, without water. So mm-hmm. a lot of guys get shut off. It's you know there goes yield potential. Would they be able to just deal with that or sh- kind of pivot and do something else, or what what would happen to those farms? I mean, that's probably going to impact their yield quite a bit. I mean. You know, we work with a grower here in Wacom that, he, you know, he uses drip tape and uh, it's a very efficient use of water. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, costs a lot of money to run that stuff, but it, uh, who knows? I mean, it might be the, the way to go for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, thankfully we get quite a bit of moisture here. We do. We're not the basin for that. And our aquifer is usually only, you know, 10 to 20 feet down. So oh yeah, it, like, that helps keep the soil at least have a little bit more moisture in it for more of the year right yeah you hear about some of these the depths of some of these wells in eastern washington and it's just mind-boggling yeah i visited with case vanderbulen a while back there in mesa and i think one of his wells is 1800 feet down like that's quite the bill (laughs) it's it's crazy to think about how do you pump that far yeah it takes a lot more juice there's a lot more investment in the electricity to be able to irrigate than for us who have to you know here in western washington have to pump the water up 20 feet max Mm -hmm. usually makes a big difference i know yeah there's a that's you don't see much more than 20 feet here huh as far as irrigation wells and we're blessed with that kind of reservoir in other areas they use reservoirs above ground but Mm-hmm. Here, our reservoir is the the groundwater. Absolutely. And that has also helped a lot of people take their irrigation off of streams and use groundwater instead when they're able to, to protect stream flows, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Absolutely. Um, how has coronavirus affected your day-to-day? You know, I'm pretty mobile, and I work remotely from my, my work truck, so... I don't see too many people. I don't sit in an office with too many people. Um, it. Uh, I actually had the coronavirus back in June. Really? Yeah. So um, I have no idea where I got it, but uh, yeah, it didn't didn't affect me too bad. 
Yeah, well, explain how it went. Tell the story. Oh, well, I was uh, I was spraying a grass field of mine and, you know, one of my hay fields and a little open station, 2440 John Deere, and <laughs> put, putting along, and yeah. the next day I kind of... Is that is that this tractor right here? Yeah, that Behind one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know it was right there. Yeah. Love that. Yep. Love that. And uh, so next day I kind of had like this little tickle in the back of my throat, and so... Uh, Got towards the end of the week. It was, this is was like a Tuesday that I noticed that, and it was like Thursday, and it's kind of started to get worse. And I just wanted to. I figured, well, I'll just go to um, Skagit Valley College. They have like a drive-through swab deal, so mm-hmm. I'll just go there to kind of rule the coronavirus out. So, and uh, I guess you know that Saturday they they said, oh yeah, you have coronavirus. And, oh shoot, so. <laughs> Yeah, my girlfriend and I had to quarantine for... Well, she had to quarantine way longer than I did. Because it was like, for me, it was 10 days after the first symptoms. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just kind of felt under the weather for about a week. And yeah. I couldn't taste or smell anything for two weeks. But other than that, it it wasn't terrible. How? Why did she have to quarantine longer? Because she could have been exposed to my symptoms because right. they they went on for 10 days so it, did she ever get it no she didn't get it no we lived together hmm. maybe Crazy. she gave it to me i don't know but, but she didn't show any symptoms but she had to quarantine longer because in case she did yeah then it would be that f- much more delayed yeah so she had to quarantine two weeks past my you know 10 days yeah so she was at home for quite a while. She actually started working from home, which worked out. Yeah. Less driving. and. What does she do? She actually works at Skagit Farmer Supply, too. In oh, really? The, in the credit department, yeah. Yeah, we met uh, at WSU. Nice. Yeah. So you work at the same operation as your girlfriend. Yeah. But not, not, you don't actually work together no, on a day-to-day not at all. basis. No, not at all. We, we figured, <laughs> I asked my boss, like, would it be weird if she applied? Because it was actually really hard for her to find a job. Mm. Um, she was working as uh, she well, she got a degree at as um, ag economics mm-hmm. um, from WSU, and she had a terrible time finding a job. And was it May or no April? Because she got let out early because of the coronavirus, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I asked my boss, "Oh, is it is it weird if you know Emily applies?" And uh, he goes, "Oh, no, not at all." okay whatever perfect yeah yeah you always got to think oh is there some kind of conflict or something right yeah it it wasn't too bad so so what uh what does she want to do she want to be a farmer too yeah she wants to she just wants to be an ag economist yeah she she, she like the the actual like getting in the dirt stuff too she likes the numbers but she really likes the baldy calves yeah, she just loves the baldy calves for whatever reason. Why? What? What's different about them? I don't know. They're, I guess they're cute little buggers, you know. <laughs> so you guys raise some calves, or she does? Or? Yeah. So my grandpa's got oh, I don't know, twenty head of Angus, and uh, yeah, they just calved like two month month and a half ago. Explain what what's a baldy calf? Oh, it's just uh, it's a you know black. It's a black Angus with the white face. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond me why they get that i forget <laughs> but yeah they just have a white face calling them up like you know like a bald eagle right it's just bald calf right yes is that because they're crossed with something else or are they still yeah i think so it's probably it has something to do with uh 
I'm not, you know, I don't know, to be you honest know, with you. You know, I don't either because I'm not a big animal person as much, yeah. but I know I've been told before. Yeah, I'd like I, to. That's why I was hoping you would know. Right, no. <laughs> but not, you're not, like me. You sound like you're more of a crop guy like me. Yeah, I'm more of a crop guy, but, you know, I kind of want to <laughs> dabble into the cattle a little bit more. I mean, I yeah. always I always help separate the... He used to have like 200 head of replacement heifers here for quite a while. Your so, grandpa? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd always help separate and... You know, I, I didn't necessarily hate the animals, but I just love the tractors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Totally get that. And and I helped my grandparents on their dairy farms, but I wasn't a cow guy. It seemed, I was a tractor and field and crop guy. It seems like on, on most dairy animal type farms, they're either one or the other from what I've noticed. Yeah, you see a lot of families kind of split up duties that way too. Yeah. Where... You know, one one brother does the field side and the other brother does the, the cow side mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, that works out, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So you you think you might end up doing some farming yourself. Mm-hmm. You're working with other farmers. Mm-hmm. It's crazy life. It is. Pretty. Driving all over the place. Why do you love it so much? What keeps you going through those stressful days? I don't know. I like to see... Things grow. Um, I like to make food. I think between hunting and fishing and growing food, having a garden, I mean, I think I swear my whole life revolves around food prep and, you know, yeah. all that stuff. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I just like to – it's kind of beautiful seeing, you know, corn grow. It's beautiful seeing potatoes grow. Beautiful seeing them getting harvested. And uh, I guess just – the process of the hard work, I think, you know, I attribute 99% of my work ethic to to the agriculture lifestyle. So I mm-hmm. couldn't be more grateful for that. Well, thanks for sharing your story and, and opening up about what you do and why you do it. Yeah, thank you. You know, it takes so many people, and it's cool to see someone like you, even just straight out of college, Make being willing to make that jump into it because a lot of people right now are saying, uh, you know, why would you get into farming? Farming is kind of going downhill. Mm-hmm. I hope it isn't because I think we need to still be growing the food that we eat here. Yeah, people got to eat, man. So, yeah, and we need people like you getting into farming to keep it going for the next generation mm-hmm. and beyond. Yeah, this it's tough. I mean, I guess a lot of guys I went to school with in Pullman, there's a lot of young people. Uh, there's quite a few young farm kids, but as far as Western Washington, it's it's hard to find very many young you know, college-aged you know folks that are gonna be into farming. I guess. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do people your age coming out of college not want to get into farming? Probably a generational thing. I mean, uh, I think you know kids not working over the summer and. Um, I think you hear about the older generation, like they all milk cows and, um, you know, in high school and middle school or whatever. And most of the, a lot of the kids that I went to high school with, or a lot of kids that you see now, they, they play video games and, (laughs) you know, go swimming, which I, you know, I get, you got to do that here and there, but I, I feel like getting that early work in and being able to be a part of, something like that i think yeah. keeps that keeps that farming around 
you learn to value that at a young age. Mm-hmm. The hard work and then the payoff mm-hmm. for putting in that work to see the crop grow, even as a young kid to work and discover, hey, you have a few bucks. I can go buy my own bike. Or, exactly, you know, yeah. That kind of a thing. Yeah, throwing, you know, some heavy ryegrass bales into the hay mount when you're 10 or 12, that kind of teaches you a few things too. Yeah, for sure. And plus it makes you stronger. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dylan. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. With somebody that young, it's going to be really fun to watch what he accomplishes. He's just getting his feet wet right now and learning, you know, from a ton of people with a lot of experience. But like he was saying, he wants to do this himself. He more than just helping people as an agronomist, advising them on their crops. He wants to be uh, he wants to grow food himself. And he has a vision for the way that that it could be different than it is now. So I again, I, I really thankful that that Blake was so transparent and open with me about what he's thinking along those lines. Love these kinds of conversations. This is what I'm all about. That's what this podcast is all about, is is getting to know these real people um, because there are so many of them in our food system and elevating their voices, getting to know them helps us get closer to change. Realfoodrealpeople.org is our website where you can get all the episodes that we've done to date and we've got a lot more planned. Let me tell you, I'm Dylan Honkoop. I grew up on a local red raspberry farm in Whatcom County, so the same place that Blake grew up. Um, And so that's where we shared some kind of common background I'm on a journey all over Washington State, though, to get to know the Blake Carsons and so many others out there growing our food. I would really appreciate your support to be able to keep doing this. We need to expand our reach and bring more people into the conversation. Please share these stories and information about the podcast on your social media if you can, on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter. Um, Real food, real people, or I guess at rfrp underscore podcast is the handle on our social media channels check us out on youtube as well we'll have the full interview that you just heard available to watch so you can see the machine shed you can see the tractors uh, you can get a look at uh, some of the great expressions on on blake's face thank you for your support thanks for being here again this week on the real food real people podcast The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org and by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture, and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.